So today, Protestant churches around the world are having a dual celebration, Reformation Sunday and All Saints Sunday. Both began with a young man named Martin Luther and a literal strike of lightning. In 1501, Martin's father sent him off to university to become a lawyer per his wishes. But Luther's heart, his deep calling was in philosophy and religion. Well, one evening on the way back to the university, after visiting his parents, Martin was knocked down by lightning and thunder. So in terror, he got on his knees and he prayed to St. Anne. He said, save me and I will become a monk. And he did. Later that same evening, Martin went to a big rowdy party with his friends and drank a lot of beer. And then late at night, he took a long walk with all of them, arm in arm to a monastery, said a tearful goodbye, and the rest is history. Martin's father was appalled. He wanted a lawyer, not a penniless monk. He continued to question the son's decision, making life miserable for Martin. At Luther's first mass, old Hans was still at it. Cornering his son during the celebration afterward, he suggested that maybe it was the devil who knocked Martin down and sent him to the monastery. And then he proceeded to pull out all the stops, invoking the fourth commandment, accusing Martin not of honoring his parents, but by disobeying their wishes. But Martin Luther continued to follow his calling. While at the monastery, he began to struggle with some of the practices of the Roman church, specifically the doctrine of the saints, their belief that the deceased saints were so perfect, they had accumulated more grace than they needed to get to heaven. How the church was selling that extra grace to common people for a big, big price, which would supposedly reduce their time in purgatory. Well, Luther did his due diligence, he raised the concerns with the monastery, his concerns, and they fell on deaf ears. So on All Hallows' Eve, the night before All Saints' Day, Martin Luther marched to the chapel door at Wittenberg, Germany, and posted his 95th Theses. His intent was to force an honest, transparent conversation about what was going on in the church. And it worked. The public discussion happened, kind of, and the result... Luther was condemned, excommunicated, and branded as a criminal. And the result was the Protestant Reformation. Luther's only intention was to remind the church of their basic mission. But they, like a lot of churches, didn't want to be reminded. The result was a renewed Roman church, the beginning of the Counter-Reformation. Now, the Reformation not only brought new energy, but major social change, For example, being able to read the Bible in the vernacular led to schools and public education, which led to rationalism, and artistically it led to congregations seeing the corrals of J.S. Bach right in church. So today is a good day to remember Martin Luther and the people like him whose faith and courage brought about positive change to the world, what our first reading calls the people who renewed their minds. It's also a good day to remember the Protestant imperative, ecclesia reformata, semper reformanda, the church reformed, always reforming. The church reformed, always reforming. In his book, The Scandalous Gospel of Jesus, the late Peter Gomes, former minister of 
Memorial Church at Harvard University, described sitting in an Episcopal church in Virginia where he was invited to be the preacher for the church's 150th anniversary, in his words. And I have to tell you, I got to know Peter just before he died suddenly. I invited him to come and do a keynote at my church in Rhode Island, and he was amazing. So when I read this, I can actually hear his voice, in his words. He went to the anniversary, the 150th. It was a splendid day. The planners of the festivities had decided that the liturgy would be the same morning prayer that would have been used in that same parish 150 years later. The liturgy included the general supplication. Remember not, Lord, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forefathers. Remember not, Lord, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forefathers. And then Gomes reflects. Here we are in Virginia, in a church established just a few years before the Civil War, and near some of the fiercest fightings of that war. Here is a church where 150 years ago, neither the current rector, a woman, nor the guest preacher, me, an African-American, would have been allowed anywhere near where we are on this anniversary Sunday. And then Gomes turned around and he looked up to see a stained glass window of George Washington just behind the pulpit. He continues, It was not difficult to remember who the forefathers and foremothers were in this place, nor to imagine that at least one of their conspicuous sins was the belief that it was not wrong for Christians to hold other human beings, even fellow Christians, in chattel bondage. Remember not, Lord, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forefathers. John Davenport was a slave owner. He actually documented this in his will. He lists a young male servant worth 10 pounds. Gomes went on to say that our church ancestors, our saints, often got it wrong. That we too can and often do get it wrong as well that someday someone will pray to God to forgive us. And he concluded with this, and it's something we all have to think about going forward. The most profound of all religious sentiments should not be certainty, which leads to arrogance, but modesty, which because of a generous God, always leads to mercy and forgiveness. The great theologian Paul Tillich called that the Protestant principle. God alone, nothing else is ultimate. Everything else requires reformation. Hence our second passage for today. By faith Abraham and Sarah moved and Moses led. By faith your people passed through the sea. By faith Gideon, Samson, and David led and fought and followed faithfully. By faith your own fathers and mothers were persecuted, tortured, martyred, and they endured. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance that race that is set before us. Now, why do you suppose the book of Hebrews uses the metaphor of a marathon for the faith journey? I think because marathons are very long and exhausting, right? Because the finish line, the perfection of our faith as a people and a church is ongoing and unfolding, always progressive. However, we are not alone, 
Because Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, has already crossed that finish line. And he and all those who have gone before him are up in that great cloud of witnesses cheering us forward, inviting us to be reformed and always reforming. Jesus was a religious reformer. Just like Martin Luther, he intended to remind the religion of his day of its basic mission. The result was a new expression of the original idea, which we now call Judeo-Christianity. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. We follow him, and as imperfect as we all are, we can still be saints. So that's why in the Protestant church today, we celebrate our personal saints as well. It's realizing that there have been other people with us from the beginning, not perfect saints by a long shot, but saints who sometimes believed in us even more than we believed in ourselves, saints who literally cheered us forward. Our own personal cloud of witnesses, our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, our teachers, mentors, friends, near and far, who inspired us and loved us enough to expect much of us, who prodded us to be all that we could be. And I thought about it when I was writing this sermon today, and I think it's true for all of you. I think this includes people who were saints to us and were not even aware of it. This was the case for one of my personal saints. Her name is Sandra Day O'Connor. Sandra, her husband John, and her three sons were good friends with my parents when we lived in Scottsdale, Arizona. I went to kindergarten with their son Scott. And believe me, I spent many a hot summer Arizona Saturdays at his home as he had a swimming pool and we did not. My family eventually moved to Michigan, and I did not see or hear from the O'Connors for years. And then in my late 20s, I moved to Rhode Island to become the pastor of my first church. By then, Sandra Day O'Connor was on the Supreme Court. And I didn't think much about her until one day I saw the news. And I saw that she was preparing to rule on a death penalty case. The case in question was a young woman who had murdered someone and while in jail had become a devout and confessing Christian. At which point I wondered if O'Connor ever prayed before making a gut-wrenching decision like that. So I wrote her. And I figured that some intern would write me back and enclose a nice glossy pamphlet of the Supreme Court. But I wrote her anyway. And much to my surprise, two weeks later, I received a personal letter from her on Supreme Court letterhead. It begins as follows. Dear Richard, I not only remember your parents, but I remember you well from the days the O'Connors saw so much of your family. I was not aware that you are a minister, and I'm sure your parents are enormously proud of you. I'm sure your parents are enormously proud of you. Actually, my parents were not enormously proud of me. My mother, a devout Catholic, thought I had bought a one-way ticket to hell. And my father, like Luther's father, did not want to see a penniless pastor when I could have taken over one of his many restaurants in the state of Michigan. Do you know what? After I received that letter, their opinions didn't matter. 
After I received that letter, I was set free. Without even knowing it, Justice O'Connor had affirmed my calling and my career in one sentence. And it was a feeling of sheer grace. That is why on this day, I gratefully name her as one of my saints. So today, we all give thanks for our own personal great cloud of witnesses, people who inspired us and encouraged us throughout our entire life, the teacher who redlined our paper and made us write it all over again, maybe even twice, the music teacher who taught us about the major and minor notes and how the melody of life has both of those as well. The coach who looked at us, and this happened to me, and said, what if you had to run for your life? I didn't want to do the laps around the gymnasium. (laughs) Just do it. That's what he said. Or saints may also include your really good friends, as was the case with Martin Luther. Good friends who even under the influence knew and supported who we are, body, mind, and soul, some even more than our own parents did. So I invite you this morning during the silence of the pastoral prayer to remember your saints who are part of your great cloud of witnesses. In the quiet peace of this mystical old church to bow your head and offer a prayer of thanks to them. Our choir sang it beautifully in today's anthem. This could be a sermon in and of itself. To those who lives of courage prepared the way for me whose works became my heritage, whose harvest I may reap, who left for me a legacy that I have yet to earn. To them in gratitude shall my heart be turned. 